Thank you. Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number seven. We spoke last week. Before we give the class, just want to make sure we give proper attention to our sponsor. This class has been sponsored to in memory of Mrs. Alice Nakash. Alice Bat Nehama. Sponsored by her family, her daughter. And Hashem bless them. Continue the great work that they do. All that she started. Baruch Hashem. Last week we discussed that in order to be happy, with what we have, we need to first recognize that we have it. Having things doesn't make a person samer. When they know what they have, that brings them simha. And if a person wants to know if they are that type of person who is Samea with what they have and they actually know what they have so it's not as easy as just saying it or believing it let me explain a person might say okay yeah I'm the type of person who really knows what I have and I appreciate what I have Words are very deceiving and often empty. Especially words that don't have a way to be contradicted by our actions. For example, a person can say, I love Hashem. Very easy to say that. Your actions have to prove what you're saying. For example, on human terms, if you love somebody and you never call them, if you love somebody, you never pay attention to them, you love someone and you ignore them, you never give them a compliment, you never buy them a gift, you never tell them how much you love them. So your actions speak very loud that you don't love that person. You could say whatever you want. Your actions show the opposite. Sometimes when it comes to things that you don't have actions to contradict, so it's easy to talk and you'll actually believe it. You'll say, yeah, of course, I'm a very appreciative person. Like, I really know my blessings. I know how much I have. Very easy to talk like that. Is there anything that we could use in the physical world that could actually contradict us if we're wrong? Because we may believe that we are people who know what we have and what we've been given, but could be that we're just thinking that way. Not that we're trying to deceive anybody. It could be that we're deceiving ourselves. So is there a barometer that we can measure in the physical world that will actually be able to help us to identify are we those people who really recognize what we have in life and therefore 
We are Sameach. So there is something. In Hebrew, we call it Hakarat Hatov. So usually, usually, when this word, these two words are brought into the picture, they are translated as someone who knows how to reciprocate. Someone who knows how to say thank you. Someone who knows how to pay his bills. Someone who knows how to give back to those that gave him, whether it's the parents, whether it's grandparents, whether it's the doctor, whether it's a teacher, a rabbi, a friend. Someone who has hakaratatov is someone who pays back. Someone who doesn't have hakaratatov keeps getting and getting and getting. He's being served by his mother, by his father, and not really giving much back. He's, he keeps getting from his rabbi or his teacher, not giving much back. People do so many things for him. Hashem does so many things for him. He's now nowhere to be found. He's not giving back. He's not even looking to give back. So usually when the words hakaratatov are brought up, they usually mean a person who gives back to those who give him. But the translation of the words really don't say that. According to what I just told you, the words in Hebrew should have been hashavat hatov. Hashavat means to give back good. Someone did good, you give him back good in whatever way you can. But the words don't say returning the good. The words say hakarat hatov, recognizing the good that, that someone does for you. So how come we use that word, or those two words, as a means of saying, I give back, when it just means, I recognize. Isn't it possible to recognize what someone does for me, but I don't pay back? So why is the payback term, hakarat hatov? So the answer is very simple. That the human was built automatically <coughs> That if they really recognize what someone is doing for them, and they realize they're not deserving of their kindness, then automatically they're going to have something itching inside of them that they need to do something for that person. Hashabat Hatov doesn't need to be taught. Not to our children, not to ourselves, not to any human. Because it's automatic. It's automatic that if I receive something good from you, I want to give back something to you. Someone runs in front of a car to save my life, hits his head, head on the windshield. Do I just, would you know any human that would just walk away? Just keep walking as if nothing happened. Wait, the man just saved your life. He jumped in front of a car field. Of course, we can't even imagine it. The lowest element of a human would automatically say, they wouldn't even just say, thanks. That, that, that's not enough. That just saved your life. You'd stop. You'd do a lot more than just say thank you. Whatever you can do. We've been in situations in our lives where somebody went out of their way for us, maybe in an extraordinary way. I've seen people who got a kidney from somebody. 
what, what, what do you do when a guy gives you a kidney? You, you don't know what to do with yourself. You could be from the lowest element of a human being. If someone gave you a kidney when you were dying, God forbid, and you're back to life, and the person doesn't even get paid for it, you are going to do something to pay them back. You're for sure going to call them. You're for sure going to buy them flowers for sure. You're going to do something more than that if you can. If the organization that helps you give a, get a kidney asks you for a donation to help other people get a kidney, I bet you're going to give them right away. You're not hanging up that phone and say, call me tomorrow. Oh, I don't, I don't think I can give you right now. No way. They just gave you a kidney. Of course you're going to help them. Hashavat Hatov is automatic. You don't need to teach children to say thank you. You don't need to teach them to give back. So if you ask me, how come my children don't say thank you then? And how come my children don't give back? And how come that person, I did them the biggest favor, and they never even thanked me? Just the other day someone told me, I do so much chesed in this community. I give people free things in some business that he has. He says, you know, most times, I never even get a letter, never even get a thank you or response. That's all I want. I just want someone to say, thank you, you gave me this, we really appreciate it. He said, believe it or not, most times nobody even calls. So how come those people aren't calling? Isn't it automatic? Isn't Hashavat Hatov automatic? The answer is that it's only automatic when you recognize the good. If you know that someone just gave you something and you don't deserve it, and they went out of their way for you, if you know that, automatically, you're going to want to do something for them. Automatically. And if someone is not reciprocating, it means they don't have hakaratatov. Must be, they don't really recognize what they were given. So you could stand up day and night saying, of course I appreciate what I have. Of course I know what I'm getting from my husband, from my mother, from my father, from my friends, from my employer, from my creator. Of course I know. Are you kidding me? I know it all. But if you're not trying to give back to those people who have given you or continue to give you, then your actions contradict what you think you have. Must be you don't have like you think. Because there's no such thing as really appreciating what someone gave you without trying to give back. That's why in Hebrew we don't say we say So all of last week we talked about knowing the gifts that you've been given there's a way to know if you actually know. And actually, this midah of hakaratato is, as we'll learn over the next few weeks, so fundamental, so essential, so beautiful. There's many souls we could say about it. Let me share with you a pasuk in Mishleh. It's a pasuk that we've learned before and we've explained it in different ways. But never like we're going to explain it now. 
זה שלמה המלך מצרף לכסף. If you want to know the quality of the silver that you're holding, you have a silver cup. It looks so nice. It looks so real. It looks so expensive. But is it really silver? I mean, it could just be gold silver plated. You would never know the difference. Silver plated cost $10. Silver cost $10,000. Big difference. How are you going to know? Says Shalomah Melech, there's a way to know. You put it in a matzref, put it in an oven called a matzref. In this oven, in this oven, you'll be able to know what is the quality of the silver that's in your hand. He says, Vekur Lazahab. You have a piece of gold. Gold, as you know, is very expensive. Looks so nice, that bracelet. It's heavy, too. Is it gold? It could be gold-plated. Gold-plated is worth $2. Real gold is worth $2,000. How do you know? You can't look at it and say, oh, it's gold. You could be easily fooled. Says Shalom you have to put it in a kur. A kur is an oven, but hotter than the matzref. You can't put gold in a matzref. It won't work. <coughs> you got to put it into a kur. But Shalom Amelah is not coming to teach us about metals. He wants to give us a mashal, and he says, and he finishes the pasuk, and he says, Ve'ish. Okay, now that I told you about gold and silver, now you have a person that's standing opposite you. He's someone that you may want to marry. He's someone you may be going to partnership in business. He's someone that you want to become friendly with. He's someone you want to hire as your employee. You want to hire good people. You want to hire, you want to marry quality people. But how do you know? You'd be foolish to look at them, smile once at you and say, oh, I melt in front of them. They're so special. That's foolish. You'd be foolish dating them and feeling that you know who they are. You gotta be a fool to go on a date and come home and say, I really know who that person is. It could be gold-plated. All around. Usually is. You don't really know a person, not from one or two or three or four dates. From dating all together, you don't know a person. Because the person is on stage acting. They have the gold-plated all around them. Both in looks and in behavior. You have no idea what you are about to enter. If we did, there would be less divorces. So you can't know someone by looking at them, by talking to them, by interviewing them, by dating them. So how are you supposed to know? How could you go into a marriage blind? How could you hire people or go into partnerships with blindfolds on? Don't you want to know that that person is worthy of your time and your investment and your relationship? Ve'ish, says Shalom Melech. So which oven? Can you put a person in, and the oven will, will tell you, oh, this one, gold plated, out. <laughs> not, not for you, next. This is quality, this is, this is the kind of person you want to be around. Ve'ish, lefi mahalalo. Lefi mahalalo, according to what we're gonna to say today, means 
according to their excitement to give back to those who gave them. Like hallelujah, mahalalo. According to the praise and the way they give back to those who have done for them. Mahalalo to their parents. See what kind of behavior they have with the people who have given them in life. First and foremost, father, mother, grandparents, older siblings who have helped them, rabbis, teachers, friends. What kind of hallelujah are they saying about their parents? You meet somebody and they make a face when you discuss their mother or father, you better get out. No good. You don't have to know anymore. It's over. At least if you're looking for quality, you know, that's not what you're looking for. According to how much they have hakaratatov is the quality of the person. An amazing thing. That means Shalomu Melech is basically saying that quality is all dependent on this midah of hakaratatov. So it's not just do I enjoy my life? Do I recognize my blessings? Do I know what I have? Which is all important. Come Shalomu Melech and says, no, no. This is it. This is your barometer of testing a person. How, how much they want to give back. How appreciative they are to those who give them. There's a famous Midrash. I think we've all heard this Midrash many times. Probably from the time that we were very little. The Midrash says that Yaakov Avinu, he ran a Hesed empire. Vayita Eshel. Eshel, our rabbis learn, Aleph, Achila. Bet, Shin, Shedia. Lamed, Lina. Which means, was a full service operation. You know, some Hesed organizations, they give food, some they give money for housing. Some, he had it all. Guy came in, he gave him what to eat, he gave him to drink, he gave him to rest. The Midrash says, Le'ahar achilan, umashkan, after he gave them to eat and to drink, hayu mebarechim oto. They would say, wow, thank you so much. We don't know what to say to you. We're here, strangers from a foreign place, we're starving, we haven't eaten in days, we haven't. Thank you so much. You know, when someone helps you in that situation, you're pouring out your heart to them. Hayum mevarachinoto. They would say, thank you so much, Abraham. Ve'amar lahem, he would tell them, li atem mevarachin. What, you're blessing me? I think you have the wrong address. Imagine someone comes to thank you for the great dinner that you made for them. But it wasn't you. It was your next door neighbor. The guy lives upstairs. And you say, oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to help you. Not nice. You tell them, listen, I didn't make it. Go upstairs. That's the lady. Abraham would tell them, I'm sorry, you got the wrong address. What are you, asking? What are you thanking me for? Thank the host. Thank the host who gave you. Oh, who's the host? Aren't you the host? No, I'm not the host. This is the real host over here. The, the one who gave me the food to give it to you. The one who gave me the ability to serve you. Who, who's that? 
Does it have a creator? Who's the creator? What are you talking about? Let me explain to you. And Abraham would start to explain to them. And step by step, he would make people this way. He would actually make humans who change their life in this system. This is a famous Midrash. There is a question on this Midrash that all of us should ask. Why did Abraham have to wait till they thanked him? And then he says, what, you thanking me? Thank the real host. Why not when he gave them the food, like we do? When you take a food or drink right away, before you even eat it, and before you drink it, make a berakhah. Before you enjoy it, say thank you. Why when he gave them the food, he didn't say anything? He was just there, let them let eat. They drink, they drink, nothing. How come then he didn't say, guys, maybe say thank you to your host? Why did he wait for them to thank him and then for him to teach them? Perhaps the reason is that you know Abraham is one man. As great as he was, he's one man. And as human, our time is limited. We can try to help every human on the planet, but it's not as easy to do. There's not enough time. We only have 24 hours a day. So how would Abraham know, from all the millions of people around him, how would he know who to invest in? You have limited time, so you want your investment to be in the best place. How would he know if this is a quality person that I should teach him, that he'll be able to understand what I'm teaching him and actually do it. Many people, they learn, they learn, they go to classes for 35 years, nothing happens to them. They come in, they listen, they say thank you very much, and they leave to the same person they were 35 years before. It's a good thing, it's a very good thing to go to classes for 35 years. But if you gave me a student that could actually change in 35 years, I think I would choose that one because I feel I will be accomplishing more. So how did Abraham know when a guest came to him that this is someone that you need to teach and to invest in? He first waited to see his reaction. He waited to see what kind of guy is after I give him food and drink and he's relaxing, what, what is he? Not just, some people say thank you, like you can say thank you. Like they, you know, like someone is pushing them to say it. Like a real thank you, like a lefi mahalalo, I can't, can't stop. I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, what can I do for you? You saved my life. Lefi mahalalo. First, he waited to see what is the quality of this person. If he saw Lefi Mahalalo, he saw Hakaratato, he said, This is someone that I need to teach. Let me see what I can teach him about his Creator. Because one who has Hakaratato for Abraham certainly can appreciate what Hashem does for him as well. This Midab Hakaratato is not only the measurement of special people. It makes for a very powerful person. There's a famous story in Masechet Hulin. 
The Gemara talks about a great rabbi, Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair, who was once hurrying, rushing, to go try to redeem someone who was taken into captivity. Pidyon Shavuim, great mitzvah, saving someone's life. And he's running, running, you know, every minute counts. And finally, he's, he's, he's with a group of people that were traveling together. And he finds himself by a body of water. And he needs to get to the other side. He has no time to go around or whatever the situation was. So the Gemara says, he says, there was a Nahar, there was a river by the name of Ginai. Amar le Rabbi Pinhas ben Yair, this great holy Tana, he told the river, Halokli memecha va'avor bach. He's doing a favor? Could you split? I gotta go through. Amar le, the river was not so quick to follow his instructions. He told him, excuse me, you are doing the will of your creator. I appreciate that. Guess what? I'm doing the will of my creator. The world, the nature of this world is all doing Hashem's will. The sun comes out in the morning, is doing Ratzon Hashem. Every one of them is doing the will of the creator. He says, you might be successful. <laughs> Who knows? If you cross the river, you still may not be successful. Me? I know I'm successful. I'm doing Hashem's will. What do you want from me? I'm not spilling for you. He told them, I'm a let. Let me tell you something. Listen to it. If you don't split now, I will decree on you. You'll never see a drop of water for the rest of your life. Just remember that. You want to be a river? Split now. Otherwise, you're done. You know, the Ora Haim Kadosh asked, by the way, on this story, he says, what was so great about Kiryat Yamsuf? Every day we're singing, Az Yashir Moshe. What was so special? We see Rabbi Pinhas Ben Yahir. He did it himself. Because the sea split. He answers, by the way, it's not it's for a different class. He answers because that was before Matan Torah. Before Matan Torah, that was a very hard thing to do. But with the power of Torah that a deep and husband Yair has, it's a different human being. With the power of Torah, you can do miracles. Rabib and husband Yair was on that level. So anyway, what happened? Halakla. He had no choice. He split for him. There was another man with him. You know, in those days they used to travel together. I guess it was scary to travel by yourself. There was another man with him. He was going to cut wheat for matzot for that year. So he told him, okay, but you gotta split for him too. But not only for me, for him also. He split. There was a goy with him, an Arab that was traveling with him. He says, uh, he's coming with me. I guess not, it's not appropriate. Guys, what do you mean? You either split for me and him and not for this guy? Split for him too. And guess what? He split. That's the end of the story. Now, it's very interesting, this story. This man, Rabbi Ben-Has Ben-Ya'ir, he's going for the mitzvah of Pidyon Shavuim. He's going to save someone's life. 
yet, when he's told to split, so I'm not doing it. Until he threatens him. But yet when it came to the other people, especially the Arab, he didn't even put up a fight. He didn't say, no, well, why should I do it? Listen, you go through. You're doing Pidyan Jamil. Why should they go through? Let them go around. What's the rush? Pesach has in uh, three months. <coughs> How come he didn't argue? He had a good argument. Okay, you're rushing. I have to split for you. I understand. Time is, is of the essence. Those guys, why do they need the sea split? For what? He didn't argue. Why wouldn't he argue? I would have argued. Perhaps the answer is because when he asked for them, it was out of his how can I talk for them? How can I travel with two people with me? I, I need them, they're helping me. And now I'm not gonna ask on their behalf. When he was going to Pidyon Shivuyim, he's fighting with him. No, I'm not doing it until he convinces him. But when he came with Hakaratatov, if that's why you're asking, you're a very powerful person. The river wouldn't even ask. He split right away. That means the power of Hakaratatov is greater than the power of saving someone's life. You go to save someone's life, is not as great as this midah of Hakaratatov. The Pasuk says in the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu says at the end of his life, when Am Yisrael was doing things that were not appropriate. So what was his claim against them? In Parashat HaAzinu he says, Haladonai tigmeluzot. This is how you repay Hashem back after all he did for you. Am Nabal he calls them a despicable nation. Why? This is how you repay. He doesn't say because you did this bad thing or that bad thing or because this is how you repay Hashem. <coughs> this is your hakaratato. Am Nabal says Ramban. What is Nabal? He says Nabal is Lashon Nebela. Nebela is a dead animal. What's the value of a dead animal? A live animal, at least you could you work with it. A, a, an animal that you shohet, you could eat. A dead animal, you could nothing to do with it. Worthless. Someone who doesn't have hakaratatov is a nabal, is nevela. He's compared to such a low level of a creation. Look at Yosef when he sends his messengers to the brothers who were caught with the silver goblet of Yosef. The Pasuk tells, Ve Yosef amar la'asher al beto. He tells him, go, run after those people. Ve amarta alehem. He knew how to talk to his brothers. To tell them, you know what you guys did? Lama shilamtem ra'a tahat How come you repaid good with bad? I would have said, how come you stole your bunch of thieves 
Could you compare a person who stole something? Someone came into your house and robbed your house. Or someone came to your house, you gave him something, you didn't say thank you. The guy who robbed your house is way worse than the person who didn't appreciate what you did for them. But yet Yosef knew the language of his brothers and understood they knew what real bad is. To accuse them of stealing, that was bad. But there's something even worse than that. Worse than stealing. This is how you repay someone who did this for you? That was worse than accusing them of stealing. This was the biggest indictment. Look at the Torah when it describes Paro, the new Paro. Vayakom Melech Hadash Al Mitzrayim Asher Lo Yada Et Yosef. A new Melech came upon Egypt. He didn't know Yosef. That's impossible. It's like a president not knowing who George Washington was. How could you not know Yosef? Yosef put Egypt on the map. Yosef gave Egypt its wealth. How could you? How could a new Melech not know Yosef? So our rabbis say that no, this is not. Of course, he knew Yosef, but his behavior and his attitude towards what Yosef did for Mitzrayim, it's as if he didn't know him. By Yaakov Melech Hadash, our rabbis say not necessarily he was new, but he was Mit Hadash. Asher loyada et Yosef. Of course he knew Yosef. But ki'ilu loyada. The way he spoke about Yosef, the way he treated his children, the way he treated his nation, you would think that he didn't know anything about him. He was lacking hakarata tov. Obviously, the Torah is coming to describe the beginning of this evil man called Parao. And what is the evil of this man? Asher lo yada et Yosef. This man made it like he didn't know what Yosef did for Mitzrayim. Let's think for a second. Who this man paros? This man put an entire nation who have no wrongdoing, innocent people. He puts them to work, slavery. He beats them up. He kills their children. He makes decrees to make their life miserable. If I was to introduce this man, could you imagine introducing Hitler in Mashamo as the person who didn't have Hakaratato? That would be the biggest gift you could hand him. He's the man who didn't have Hakaratato? Really? That's all? You mean not the murderer? Not the, everything you could say about Hitler. He's introduced as the man who lacks Hakarat Hatov. That's how the Torah introduces the Torah's version of Hitler. You know who this Paro was? Asher lo Yosef. Not Paro Harasha. Not Paro the murderer. No, no, no. Not the Rotsayah. Asher lo Yosef. According to this, we understand 
it seems to be that the biggest indictment of Paro, worse than his Rishot, worse than what he did, and maybe the source of his Rishot, and the source of his evil, is the lacking of Hakaratato. When we choose to describe him, we use the worst thing about him. Asher lo yada et yosef. How terrible is this Hisaron of Hakaratatov, this lacking of Hakaratatov? As you know, Am Yisrael is a holy nation, it's a unique nation. We have a special Neshama that we receive from the Avot and Imahot. The reason why we have more mitzvot is because we could do more, we have more responsibility. Just like if you have a smarter child, you give them more to do. You put them in a higher class, because they can do more. One who can't, can't. They'll do well in the lower class. Am Yisrael spiritually has this huge neshama that was given to us through the avot. That's why more is expected of us. So a Jew, a goy, cannot keep the mitzvah. He's not capable. It's not because Hashem likes him less or thinks low of him. He's just not capable. And therefore, he has his seven mitzvot. Hashem loves him with <coughs> his seven mitzvot. A, a goy who lives and keeps the seven mitzvot, has he done with all that? all about him too. So the reason why a goy doesn't have the Torah is just because they don't have the ability. What happens if a goy decides that they want to have the ability? They want. They don't have it, but they want to. So it's possible. There's something called gerut. is a process of gerut where a person transforms his neshama and actually connects his neshama to Am Yisrael. So, I, mean, I, I would have thought you can't do that. How do you do that? But there's a way. There's a way through the process of gerut, whether it's the mikveh, whether it's the milah, whether, whatever it is, is a way to transform the neshama of a goy to be a Jewish neshama. And he becomes like a Jew in every aspect. 100%. There are a few exceptions. Where the Torah says they can become Jewish, anyone can become Jewish. But certain nations, before we marry them, we have to wait a few generations. We have to get rid of all the uh, maybe the side issues that maybe they come with. For, exi- for example, an Egyptian, right? Not an Egyptian Jew. An Egyptian, yes. An Egyptian, so he can convert, marry another Egyptian, they marry each other. And then the third generation, the grandson, is now able to marry any, any Jew. Any Jewish girl he can marry. But there's one exception. By the way, Amalek. Amalek. We know, what, we know Amalek is not someone that we're very fond of. Torah says to destroy Amalek. But Amalek, if he decides to convert, Amalek comes from Edom. Edomi, Torah says, 
third generation. So Amalek converts, we accept him. He marries another Amalek or someone like that. Grandchild, go ahead, marry a Jewish girl, no problem. Amalek can become a Jew in marriages. But there's one nation that cannot. Torah says, Lo yavo amoni umu'avi bikal Adonai. Ammon and Moab, they're out. They cannot. They can, they can always convert. They can convert. They can be Jewish. But there's a certain blemish in their soul that they will never be able to be accepted to marry a Jewish girl. Ever. No matter how many generations. 10, 20, never. Who are these nations? Ammon and Moab. Our cousins. These are Lord's children. Lord is Abraham's nephew. They will never be allowed to marry within us. Why? Torah says because when we were passing through their country while we were in the desert, they didn't come out just to offer us some bread and some water. After all, their survival depended on their grandfather Lot, who depended on Abraham, who saved them from the war, who saved them from Sodom. They're only alive because of their father, Abraham. And now they're passing by your country. You don't go out to give them something. By the way, we didn't need their water or their bread. We had man, we had our own food. We're good. That's not the point. The point is, where, where is your hakarat at all? The nation that you're alive because of them, you don't offer them something? What kind of people are you? Now, they didn't necessarily come out to fight us and they want to destroy us. They're not Amalek. But hakarat at all is lacking in these people? Hashem says, Lo yavo Gam dor asiri lo they can never enter. Because this failing of Hakarat Atov is so terrible that we need to stay away from it. We see in the Torah constantly, the Torah highlights this midah or the lacking of this midah. A beautiful example is in Megillat Esther. As you know, Mordechai told us there, do not tell anybody who your family is, who your nation is. And she didn't. Look at the Pasuk says, Lo hi gida Esther et ama ve et molata. She would never say who her nation was and who family she comes from. She would never say it. Says the Megillah, Ki Mordechai Tziva Aleha Asher Lotev. Because Mordechai told her not to. And Esther Magedet Molatavet Ama. Again, later on, the, the Megillah writes it again. Ka'asher Tziva Aleha Mordechai. Like Mordechai told her. What's interesting is, there's a similar process that happened by Haman. When Haman came 
and was distraught about Mordechai not bowing to him, so he also got advice. But his wife Zeresh and all those who love him, they told him, let's make a gallow 50 amot high, very high gallow, and why don't you just hang this man? Enough with him. Every day you come in and you're frustrated from him, you're upset from him, just get rid of him. It's over. Guess what? He liked that. So that's a good... You know, I never thought about that. I'm not sure why I didn't think about it. So the Pasuk says, Vayitav haddavar haman. Haman liked very much what they had to say. Vayaas And he made this piece of wood, this gallop. Guess what's missing? It doesn't say, Vayaas ha'ez. How come before the Torah, the Megillah points out, by the way, when Esther didn't say it, it's because Mordechai told her. But how come it doesn't say by Haman, you know why he built it? Because Zeresh told him. Because that's the way a tzaddikim and a shayim. That's the dividing line. A tzaddik, a great person, Someone tells you something good or advises you something. Somebody says, hey, you know, I see you're very strong. How come you're not revealing your identity? You're not telling them who you're from. Very often in life, when people compliment us, we love to take the compliment. Yeah, it's a great idea, I know. I know how I thought of it. I don't know. I don't know. I hate it. We love taking credit. To say, oh, no, no, it wasn't my idea. It was, it was his idea. It was, I didn't think about it. It was their idea. It takes a big person to do that. You need hakarata to that. That when you have an idea and you're doing something and you give credit to those who told it to you and don't take it to yourself. So when it comes to Esther, Anytime anyone would ask her if you would, or even if you didn't ask her, she always knew. This is not my idea. It's a great, it's a great idea, but it's not my idea. But when it comes to Haman, the idea that he likes becomes his idea. Someone sees Haman, what are you doing? I don't have this great idea today. Where'd you get it from? It's inspiration. That's what it is. When someone helps you or advises you, quote them. Don't make it like it's yours. You know, there is a famous Gemara in Masechet Yeramot. The Gemara discusses the Pasuk in the Torah. Ish imo tirao. You have to have awe and fear of your parents. Continues. The Pasukan says, Ve'et shabetotai tishmoru, but keep my Shabbat. Ani Adonai Elohechem. So the Amara wants to know what these two mitzvot have in common that they're placed in the Shidduch, in the same Pasukan. Respect your parents and keep my Shabbat. So the Amara says in Masechet Yibamot, 
because the Torah is teaching you, then that one might have thought, there's a mitzvah called Kibbud Avaim. There's a mitzvah called Shmirat Shabbat. What would happen if your parents told you to break the Shabbat? And an example, it's not only Shabbat, to eat not kosher, to do something wrong. But what, what are you supposed to do? So you might have thought, you know what, what should I do? I must listen to my parents, Kibbud Avaim, what should I do? Says Hashem, honor your parents, but when it comes to the laws that I teach you, like Shabbat and others, you don't listen to your parents. The Ed Ani Adonai I am your creator and their creator too. So of course, listen to me, not to them. Always honor your parents, but not when it comes to mitzvot or averot that go against me. That's why the Torah put them together. Because you might have thought, again, you might have thought if there was no pasuk like this in the Torah, you would have thought, my parents, Hashem, my parents. Comes the Torah and says, no, I am before your parents. That's the end of the Gemara. Question, most obvious question. Which person actually would have thought that? We're not talking about people living in the streets. We're talking about intelligent people who are looking for emet. Who would have thought which rabbi would read the Torah and explain it? Guys, you know, if your parents told you to, to be me halal Shabbat, listen to them. It's obvious. We have a rule. Divrei harav ve divrei hatalmid. If the master, the one who this information came from to begin with, He's the master of all knowledge, and he tells you something, and his student tells you something else. Who are you going to follow, the student or the master? Of course the master. It's obvious. It's not a hard thing to understand. It's obvious. Pashut. So who is this person that would have thought that your parents go ahead of Hashem? How would you think that? When the Torah comes to tell you, don't think that, that means, intelligently, you could have thought that, or you should have thought that. Perhaps, perhaps, the answer has to do with hakaratato. <coughs> if there are people in this world that we owe hakarata tozu, there is nobody more than our father and mother. Nobody. No one will even come close. The fact they gave us life, even if they did nothing else, to just bring us into this world, that's enough. That we owe them everything. And if they did more than that, if they actually put, them, put us in the house for free, if they actually fed us and changed our diapers, and they actually worried about us, and they put us through school, even though we weren't doing well in school. Don't you ever wonder, certain kids, they don't do anything in school, what their parents are paying tuition for? They don't do anything. To waste. $20,000, $25,000. they're doing well in school. They're learning something. 
It's an investment in their future, okay? What are you paying tuition for? Answer is that a parent loves so much his children that on the one chance, one percent chance, that maybe he'll learn something. And maybe he'll get something. They're, wo they're willing to give all tuition just on that chance. That's how much parents love their children. They'll do anything for them. There is nobody on this planet that we owe hakarat hatov to more than our parents. In fact, that may be the reason why kaved et avicha ve'et imecha is on the right side of the second, the tablets on the right, the first tablet, which is talking about mitzvot between us and God. Because in reality, the example of hakarat hatov to Hashem in this world is our parents. If a person doesn't have hakarata tov to his parents, how could he claim to have hakarata tov to Hashem? How is that possible? He's doing mitzvot, he's praying, but your parents? No, no, my parents, I don't What, what do you mean? It's not possible. So therefore, one might have thought that since the ladder of hakarat tov begins with our parents. That's the ladder. The top of the ladder is to have hakarat tov to Hashem. But you got to climb the ladder. So one might have thought that if your parents tell you to do something wrong out of hakarat tov to build your hakarat tov, maybe it's worth being mehalal Shabbat. To build your hakarat tov to your parents, be mehalal Shabbat this one time. But this way you show your appreciate your parents and that hakarat tov will continue to lead you up to the top. And then you'll understand and you'll become a great person. That's how important hakarat tov is. Then one might have thought it's worthwhile to be mehalel Shabbat, which is sekila by the way. It's hayam mitat to be mehalel Shabbat. It's not, a, it's not like you know, drinking uh, something that doesn't have the perfect kashrut. It's not a humrah. This is one of the worst Averot in the Torah, to be Mehalil Shabbat. You, you might have thought it's worthwhile to be Mehalil Shabbat just so you don't put a hole in your Hakarat HaTov to your parents. You might have thought that. Hashem says otherwise. But that means intelligently, that's how important Hakarat HaTov is. How far does this go? You know, sometimes we find it difficult to show our hakaratatov and we feel excused. I know, I know, I know. I know I have to. But, you know, it's hard. Do it. We find ourselves very many times, we find ourselves many times struggling to give hakaratatov. Not because we don't want to. Because there are challenges. Maybe the other person is not so easy to receive. Maybe the other person is hard to get to. Maybe you're hard to find time. Whatever it is. So it's good to know the following story that happened with Moshe Rabbein. The Midrash elaborates on the Torah's Pesukim by saying, as you know, Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen by Hashem to go rescue Am Yisrael from Egypt. They were struggling. 
They were struggling. They were struggling physically. They were struggling spiritually. They were on the lowest level of Tum'ah, almost the lowest, which would have been a disaster. People are dying, people are suffering. Hashem tell Moshe Rabbeinu, Yalla, go, go. I'm Israel needs you, you're Mashiach, Yalla, go. Says the Midrash, Besha'ah, She'amar lo ha-kadosh baruchu le-Moshe. When Hashem tells Moshe, go, I'm sending you to Paro, we gotta start. Amar lo, Moshe, look what Hashem, look what Moshe tells Hashem. Ribbon Allah, master of the universe. Any yachol, I'm sorry, I can't go. This is after he accepted. This is not the argument before. He already accepted he's going. He said, I can't go now. Why? People are dying, we can't go now. We need you. Any yachol. Mipene shekibelani yitro. Yitro, he opened his house to me. I've been living by him. Upatahli et petah beto. He opened his house for me. Va'ani imo, keben, he treated me like a son. He was his son-in-law. Someone who takes you into his house? Nafshohu hayabu. I own my life. I can't go. I need to go and I have to ask him permission. Va'yelech Moshe, va'yashov el-yeter chotenu. He went back to Yitro, says, would you mind if I go? I have an important mission. I'm asking permission from you. I can't just leave you. Wait, you know how many people might die in the next, those 24 hours or 24 days? I don't know how long it's been. You know how many much, how much more suffering is happening because of this little trip that he's taking to Yitro? To ask him because, how can I, how can I just leave him? The guy, he opened his house to me. I know one mother told me that her children stay by her for the entire summer. She didn't get one thank you. <laughs> she only gets complaints. It happens. Here's a man. By the way, Yitro opened his house to him. Do you know how fortunate Yitro was to find a hatan for his daughters? For his daughters Yitro? You think his intention was fully pure? He saw a man that Midrash says, he says, bring him home. This could be a good candidate. Could you imagine having Moshe Rabbeinu as your son-in-law? Moshe Rabbeinu was Moshe before Hashem chose him. He was a human being on the highest level. What a, what a hatan that is. So whatever Yitro did was not necessarily so pure. It's not like he gave him a kidney on his own. Not like that. It wasn't like that. He wanted him for his daughter. So yes, he opened his door for him. Yes, he took care of him. How many times people say, of course they invite me over for her. <laughs> of course they give me. They don't care about me. It's for, it's for him. This was not necessarily pure hesed. But it doesn't matter. People are suffering. People are dying. I can't. I have to go back. An unbelievable thing. It's an unbelievable I don't know how to use it. I'm not saying let people die if I got to. I don't know how to use this rule. But that's what happened over there. And obviously Hashem agreed to him. How far this goes. The Torah says, Do not oppress an Egyptian. 
Because you lived by him. You were, he was your host. Be careful how you treat the Egyptian. When you read this quickly, it's okay, fine. But then you stop, what, what's that? Who is the Egyptian? It's like saying, don't be upset with Germany. I mean, you live by them. You live by them. Are you kidding? Do you know what they did to us? Do you know what the Egyptians did? Of course we live by them. Do you know what they did to us? But yet the Torah is telling you and I how often in life do people do us a favor? How many times you find somebody who's upset with his own father and mother? So how could you? It's your mother. You don't know what she did to me. You don't know what he did to me. So they're not denying how much they owe. They know how much they owe. But they're saying, you don't know. On the other hand, on the other hand, look at what they're doing to me, or what they did to me. The Torah is teaching you here, it doesn't work like that. It's not the same account. If somebody does you a favor, you owe them hakaratato. And if they do something bad to you, that doesn't knock out your obligation of hakaratato. You're right. Your mother did a terrible thing for you. That doesn't negate your hakaratato for what she did for you. It's a bad thing what she did. Good, you're right. I don't understand. What, imagine, imagine Reuben did you a favor, and Shimon kicked you. Would you say, "Oh, I can't thank Reuben because look what Shimon did to me"? What does Shimon do to Reuben? If Shimon kicked you, then do with Reuben. It works that way with the same person too. Just because the person did wrong to you, you're right. She spoke about you. You're right. He did something that was not appropriate to you. You're right. You're right. But that doesn't negate that they saved your life. It doesn't negate that they did that for you. You can't knock one bad thing, knock out all the good stuff. You cannot treat a mitzri like he's a zero. You can't do that. What? He did bad to you. You're right. But it doesn't negate the fact that he did good for you also. You live by him. He saved us for a number of years. We were staying in his land. Hakarata Tov is so overwhelming in the reach of this Midah. You know, we speak about parents. That's like the highest. But it covers everybody that does you favors. People who come to your wedding. People that call you if you don't feel good. People who visit you if you're sitting shiva. Anybody does you a favor. You owe them. It's a reality. Not just by parents. And not just by friends. It even applies surprisingly to rocks. It applies to water. We would never imagine such a thing. Yet the Torah says, Hashem tells Moshe, tell Aaron, and he should take your stick and hit the water of Egypt to turn into blood. Tells 
Aharon, tell Aharon, take your stick and then hit the water so the sefardaim, the frogs, come out. Tell your brother Aharon, take your stick and he should hit the earth so that the lice should go and come out. And our rabbi said, why is he telling Aharon? It's your stick, let him do it himself. And I was like, no, no, Moshe can't hit Moshe can't hit the water. You're kidding. The water saved his life. He was a little boy, they put him in the water, and the water protected him. He, Moshe can't hit the, the, the sand, the dirt. They hit, he hit the Egyptian in the dirt. So that people wouldn't find out that he killed him. By the way, they found that. Anyway. But I, I guess for some time, they didn't find out. Moshe can't do that. Hakaratatov. Go to the water and to the dirt. First of all, if you would ask the water and the dirt, let's say we can interview them. We say, okay, Mr. Water, I want to ask you a question. You are the water of Egypt, the Nile. Here you are. Would you like Moshe Rabbeinu to hit you? What's he doing? Oh, it's going to be this miracle. All the blood of Egypt, you know, the Rishayim, the Egyptians, they're going to have all blood. Only Tzaddikim are going to drink water. It's going to be one of the greatest miracles of all time. They're going to talk about it for the next three, four thousand years. The water would say, what? This is the greatest Kiddush Hashem, are you kidding? This is the greatest moment in the water's life. To be a Kiddush Hashem. You know, the, the, the Hazal tell us that the inanimate objects, they yearn to be a vehicle of Kiddush Hashem. Your, the, the flower that grows, the wheat that grows, wants to be your halal for Shabbat. And so you make halal for Shabbat, look at the flower, give it a wink. <laughs> it's exciting. It's not a joke. There's spirituality. There's spirituality. There's spirituality even in inanimate objects. They yearn that they should be used for a Kiddush Hashem. Could you imagine the, the water never saw this opportunity in their life to be the Kiddush Hashem? The earth never saw such an opportunity. Please, Moshe, hit me! We see, by the way, this, by the Midrash says, that Eliyahu and Abi, he had this showdown with the, worship, the idol worshippers. He said, you know what? For once and all, we're going to decide. Who's Emmet? We're going to bring a korban. You bring a korban, and let's see which one comes from a fire from heaven comes and takes the korban. That's the Emmet. Midrash says when he took one part to give it to the guys who were serving idols, the part told Eliyahu and Avi, "Hey, what are you doing to me?" He told them, "Ani ve'haveri, me and the other, the other, the other cow, yatsanu mibeten ahat." We came from the same mother. We grew up in the same pasture. You take him as a korban to Hashem, and me, I should be used as a korban for Abu Dazara. No way, I'm not going. Eliyahu Abi told him, right, the same way there's going to be Kiddush Hashem by him, there's going to be a Kiddush Hashem by you. Because they're going to see that this was accepted, and this wasn't. Don't worry, you're also Kiddush Hashem. Guess what? He wasn't convinced. They had to carry the pot 
They had to carry him to go be sacrificed to the idol. He's not interested. By the way, that could be the explanation why on Yom Kippur, you know, there's two goats. One is a goat they send to Azazel, the old Averot, and one goat they bring for Korban Tasha. He goes in the Kodesh Kodashim. How do they decide which goat goes to where? They make a raffle. All of a sudden, we're making raffles. And this is the first raffle. Why do they make a raffle for? Just you go here, you go there. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, go, finish. Could be because the Sa'ila Adobo, what do you want from me? Why does he get to be in the Kodesh Kodashim and I'm going to Azazel? I'm not going. So to make it fair, so what should we do? There's a Goral, you were chosen. I said, don't, don't bother us. So bottom line is, the, 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 the earth and all of it is thirsty to do the will of the great person. Yaakov Avinu goes to sleep, the rocks say, oh, I lie. I want the tzaddik to be laying down on me. The greatest day of the Nile's life is when Moshe hits it. But at the end of the day, Moshe can't do it. Moshe, it's not because of the Nile. He can't do it. By the way, the Nile was Zocheh. By not getting hit by Moshe, to teach us a greater lesson, the lesson of Hakarat that was actually even a bigger zikhut than what happened in Israel. Because now we're talking about how Moshe couldn't hit him. You see, Hakarat is not necessarily because the other person wanted to do it. You know, the water had no free choice. If they were put an Egyptian in the water, it would also save them. The sand had no free choice. So what does that mean, Hakarat Tov? They didn't choose to do it. When it comes to Hakarat Tov, it's not because the other person chose to do it. It's because you benefited from something. You see, once you think in the way of, oh, they wanted to give me, that's why I have Hakarat Tov, this could be a very slippery slope. Because you could say that by God too. You could say, oh, God gives me all this water. What does it matter to him? He didn't lose anything by giving. What does it matter? Who cares? What's the difference? Anyway, he created the world. He created so many people. You think he cares about me? He's done so much for everybody else. He's fine. To him, it's nothing. Like a, like a guest. A guest comes into somebody's house. The says, A good guest, what does he say? He says, wow. All this is for me. I can't believe it. This item, and the chicken, and the meat, and the salads, and the soup, and the dessert. They all, everything for me, I can't believe it. Says the Gemara, What does a bad guest say? He says, listen, it could be anyway. What does it mean? I'll tell him thank you out of etiquette. You know, out of etiquette. I have to, it's not nice. I owe them my life. What do I owe my life? What they make for me? What they make for me? We could do the same thing in this world. You say, what, what's he doing for me? He's doing everybody else. The world is running for everybody else. I'm also a part of it. He's not thinking about me. So once you have this hashbon, oh, what was their kavanah? What was their behira? What was their intention? Was it really for me? With the, my parents, they really were doing it for themselves because, you know, they love their children, so they really were doing it selfishly. It really wasn't for me. They didn't really care about me. 
You can have these arguments all day long. If you start with learning Lamdut, how to explain if the person really did it for me, what was his intention, or that, then you will not have Hakkadatul. Because Hakkadatul has nothing to do with what the other person thought. It has to do with you who received. If you received something, it could be from a rock. It doesn't matter the rock didn't choose. You receive something. And if you have Hakkadatatom, then it should make a mark on you. And you cannot hit the rock that saves you. You cannot hit the water that helps you. That's it. You can't do it. I'll finish off by telling you. By the way, that's why we cover the bread. We make Kiddush. We also have to show that sensitivity. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu did. Usually, bread goes first. Bread is the most important. And all of a sudden, you're making kiddush on the wine. It's not nice. You think the bread cares? You come with the bread. Oh, oh look. <laughs> what, are we, what are we doing? You know, it, looks, it seems very childish. I'm telling you kids, what are we doing? Oh, the bread the, shouldn't be embarrassed. And they look at you like, okay. Okay? <laughs> but it's not about the bread. About you. How could you put the bread second? How could you do that? You benefit from the bread much more than wine. How could you lift the wine and make Kiddush on wine? It's not appropriate for you, not for the bread. We're covering you from the bread, not the bread from you. You shouldn't see the bread. Because if you have Hakarat Atom in your Nefesh, you can't do it. I'll leave you off from a message in this week's parasha. It says that Yaakov Avinu, after he left Isaac, he went to a certain place and he built a home. He built a home. He made shacks for his cattle. Alken says the pasuk. That's why. He named the place till today, it's called Sukkot. Because he built cattle for his animals. He built shacks, Sukkot, for his animals. Very interesting thing. Man goes to build a house. And then he builds Sukkot. Little lightweight, flimsy types of buildings for your animals. You call the place Sukkot? That's what you want to be remembered by? When a person goes to sleep at night, as what you accomplished today. I built a house. Imagine you built a house and you built a little shack outside for the animal. You say, oh, today I built a shack. What? You built a house today? Yaakov names it Sukkot? What's going on here? Ulai says, Ki asa davar hadash. That Abraham, that Yaakov did something new. Something amazing. That he had so much compassion on his animals. Who would do so much for him. He thought about them. He said, you know what? Maybe they could use a little shade too. And he did something for animals. He showed Hakarat for animals. This is Yaakov Avinu. What he wanted to teach. He called the place Sukkot because he wanted to be a message for his children, us, his own children. Hakarat Tov is the 
top. That's why when he sent Yosef, and this was coming up, when he sent Yosef to see, see how your brothers are, the Pasuk says, Vayomelo, he says to him, Lechna, go, please, Re'eh et shalom achecha. Go see how your brothers are doing. Ve'et shalom hatzon. See how the sheep are doing. See if they're happy. See if they're comfortable. Could you imagine equating your brothers and the sheep? That's the message of Yaakov. We benefit from those animals. Don't forget them. Perhaps the message landed very strongly when it came to the story of Yosef and that woman that was chasing after him. You know, Hazal tell us that his father appeared to him, an image appeared to him. As he was about to do something wrong, his father's image appeared to him, and he said, I can't do it, he ran away. What was his image? What did the image tell him? It wasn't a miraculous image. It means he remembered his father. What did he remember about his father? But look at the words that he says to this woman. And he refused. He told her, you know, your master, your husband, my master, he trusts me with everything in this house. He gave me everything. No one is great as me in this house. The only thing that's off limits in this house is you. How can I repay him with such a bad act? So while we think he didn't want to fall to the Yetzirah of Ta'aba, well, maybe he would have fallen. But from this comment, it sounds like what saved him is the feeling of Hakaratatov. How can I do this to this man? That's what it means Yaakov appeared to him. His father, Yaakov, is telling him, see how the sheep are. We owe them. Sukkot, that's the city, Sukkot. That's the message that he grew up with. And even animals need to be felt, given over that hakaradatov. That image appeared to him. And I came to this. These are the long range effects of hakaradatov. There's many more. There are many more effects. Next week, we'll continue more on this topic. Hakaratatov is the way to know if you're showing appreciation to others, if you're giving back to others, it means you recognize what you have in mind. If you don't, there's something missing.